Understood, Betsy. Nine. Betsy has a birthday. Betsy's birthday was the ninth day of September, and the Valley Fair is always held from the 8th to the 12th, so it was decided that Betsy should celebrate her birthday by going up to Woodford, where the fair was held. The Putneys weren't going that year, but the people on the next farm, the Windles, said they would make room in their Surrey for the two little girls, for, of course, Molly was going too. In fact, she said the fair was held partly to celebrate her being six years old. This would happen on the 17th of October. Molly insisted that that was plenty close enough to the 9th of September to be celebrated then. This made Betsy feel like laughing, but observing that the Putneys only looked at each other with the faintest possible quirk in corners of their serious mouths, she understood that they were afraid that Molly's feelings might be hurt if they laughed out loud. So Betsy tried to curve her young lips to the same kind of secret mirth. And I can't tell you why this effort not to hurt Molly's feelings made her have a perfect spasm of love for Molly. She threw herself on her and gave her a great hug that tipped them both over on the couch on top of Shep, who stopped snoring with his great girling snort, wriggled out from under them and stood with laughing eyes and wagging tail, looking at them as they rolled and giggled among the pillows. "'What dress are you going to wear to the fair, Betsy?' asked Cousin Anne. "'And we must decide about Molly's, too.' This stopped their rough-and-tumble fun in short order, and they applied themselves to serious questions. When the great day arrived, the Surrey drove away from the Wendell's gate. Betsy was in a fresh pink and white gingham, which she had helped Cousin Anne make, and plump Molly looked like something good to eat in a crisp white dimity. One of Betsy's old dresses, with a deep hem taken in to make it short enough for the tiny butterball, because it was Betsy's birthday. She sat on the front seat with Mr. Wendell, and part of the time, when there was not too many teams on the road, she drove herself. Mrs. Wendell and her sister filled the back seat solidly full from side to side and made one continuous soft lap on which Molly happily perched, her eyes shining, her round cheeks red with joyful excitement. Betsy looked back at her several times and thought how nice Molly looked. She had, of course, little idea how she herself looked because the mirrors at Putney Farm were all small and high up and anyhow they were so old and greenish that they made everybody look very odd colored you looked in them to see if your hair was smooth and that was about all you could stand so it was a great surprise to betsy later in the morning as she and molly wandered hand in hand through the wonders of industrial hall to catch sight of molly in full-length mirrors as clear as water she was almost startled to see how faithfully reflected were the yellow of the little girl's curls and the clear pink and white of her face and the blue of her soft eyes. An older girl was reflected there also, near Molly, a dark-eyed, red-cheeked, sturdy girl, standing straight on two strong legs, holding her head high and free, 
her dark eyes looking out brightly from her tanned face. For an instant, Betsy gazed into those clear eyes, and then, why gracious goodness, that was herself she was looking at. How changed she was! How very, very different she looked from the last time she had seen herself in a big mirror. She remembered it well, out shopping with Aunt Frances in a department store. She had caught sight of a pale child and a thin neck and spindling legs, half hidden in the folds of Aunt Frances's skirt. But she didn't look even like the sister of this brown, muscular, upstanding child who held Molly's hand so firmly. All this came into her mind and went out again in a moment for Molly caught sight of a big doll in the next aisle and they hurried over to inspect her clothing. The mirror was forgotten in the many exciting sights and sounds and smells of their first country fair. The two little girls were to wander about as they pleased until noon when they were to meet the Wendells in the shadow of the industrial hall and eat their picnic lunch together. The two parties arrived together with different directions. Having seen very different sides of the fair, the children were full of merry-go-rounds, the balloon seller, the toy vendors, and the popcorn stands, while the Wendells exchanged views on the shortness of hog legs and the dip in cow's back, and the thickness of sheep's wool. The Wendells, it seemed, had met some cousins they didn't expect to see, who, not knowing about Betsy and Molly, had hoped that they might ride home with the Wendells. Don't you suppose, Mrs. Wendell asked Betsy, that you and Molly could go home with the Vaughns? They're here in their big wagon. You could sit on the floor with the Vaughn children. Betsy and Molly thought this would be fun and agreed enthusiastically. All right, then, said Mrs. Wendell. She called to a young man who stood inside the building near an open window. Oh, Frank, well, Vaughn is going to be in your booth this afternoon, isn't he? Oh, yes, ma'am, said the young man. His turn is from two to four. Well, you tell him, will you, that the two little girls who live at Putney Farm are going to go home with them. They can sit on the bottom of the wagon with the Vaughn's young children. Yes, ma'am, said the young man, with a noticeable lack of interest in how Betsy and Molly got home. Now, Betsy, said Mrs. Wendell, you go round to that booth at two and ask Will Vaughn what time they're going to start, where their wagon is, and then you be sure not to keep them waiting a minute. No, I won't, said Betsy. I'll be sure to be there on time. She and Molly still had twenty cents to spend out of the forty they had brought with them. Twenty-five earned by berry-picking, and fifteen a present from Uncle Henry. They now put their heads together to see how they could make the best possible use of their four nickels. Cousin Anne had put no restrictions whatever on them, saying they could buy any sort of truck or rubbish they could find except the pink lemonade. She said she had been told the vendor washed their glasses in that and their hands and for all she knew their faces. Betsy was for merry-go-rounds, but Molly yearned for a big red balloon, and while they were buying that a man came by with toy dogs, little brown dogs with curled wire tails, 
he called out that they could bark when they pulled their tails, and seeing that the little girls looked at him, he pulled the tail of one of them he held. It gave forth a fine, loud yelp, just like Shep when his tail got stepped on. Betsy bought one, all done up neatly in a box tied with blue string. She thought a great bargain to get a dog who could bark for five cents. Later on, when they untied the string and opened the box, they found the dog had one leg broken off and wouldn't make the faintest squeak when his tail was pulled. But that is the sort of thing you must expect to have happen to you at a country fair. Now they had ten cents left, and they decided to have a ride apiece on the merry-go-round. But glancing up at the clock face in the tower over Agricultural Hall, Betsy noticed that it was half-past two, and she decided to go first to the booth where Will Vaughn was to be and find out what time they would start for home. She found the booth with no difficulty, but William Vaughn was not in it. Nor was the young man she had seen before. There was a new one, a strange one, a careless, whistling young man with very bright socks and striped cuffs. He said, in answer to Betsy's inquiry, Vaughn? Will Vaughn? Never heard of the name, and immediately went on whistling and looking up and down the aisle over the heads of the little girls, who stood gazing up at him with very wide, startled eyes. An older man leaned over from the next booth and said, Will Vaughn? He from Hillsboro? Well, I heard somebody say those Hillsboro Vaughns had word of their cow was awful sick, and they had to start right back that minute to home. Betsy came to herself out of her momentary daze and snatched Molly's hand. Hurry, quick! We must find the Windles before they get away. In her agitation, for she was really very much frightened, she forgot how easily terrified little Molly was. Her alarm instantly sent the child into a panic. Oh, Betsy, Betsy, what will we do? She gasped as Betsy pulled her along the aisle and out of the door. Oh, the Windles can't be gone yet, said Betsy reassuringly, though she was not at all sure she was telling the truth. She ran as fast as she could drag Molly's fat legs and the horse shed where Mr. Wendell had tied his horse and left the Surrey. The horse shed was empty, quite empty. Betsy stopped short and stood still. Her heart seemed to be up in her throat so that she could hardly breathe. After all, she was only ten that day, and you must remember Molly began to cry very loudly hiding her weeping face in Betsy's dress. "'What will we do, Betsy? What can we do?' she wailed. Betsy did not answer. She did not know what they would do. They were eight miles from the Putney farm, far too much for Molly to walk, and anyhow neither of them knew the way. They had only ten cents left and nothing to eat, and the only people they knew in all that throng of strangers had gone back to Hillsborough. What will we do, Betsy? Molly kept on crying out, horrified by Betsy's silence. Betsy did not answer. She did not know what they would do. They were eight miles from the Putney farm, far too much for Molly to walk, and anyhow, neither of them knew the way. They had only ten cents left and nothing to eat, 
and the only people they knew in all that throng of strangers had gone back to Hillsboro. What would we do, Betsy? Molly kept on crying out, horrified by Betsy's silence. The other child's head swam. She tried again the formula which had helped her when Molly fell into the wolf pit and asked herself desperately, what would Cousin Anne do if she were here? But that did not help her much now, because she could not possibly imagine what Cousin Anne would do under such appalling circumstances. Yes, one thing Cousin Anne would be sure to do, of course, she would quiet Molly first of all. At this thought, Betsy sat down on the ground and took the panic-stricken little girl in her lap, wiped away her tears, and sang stoutly, Now, Molly, stop crying this minute. I'll take care of you, of course. I'll get you home all right. How'll you ever do it? sobbed Molly. Everybody's gone and left us. We can't walk. Never you mind how, said Betsy, trying to be fastidious and mock mysterious, though her own under lip was quivering a little. That's my surprise party for you. Just you wait. Now come on back to that booth. Maybe William Vaughn didn't go home with the folks. She had very little hope of this, and only went back there because it seemed to her a little less daunting strange than every other spot in the howling wilderness about her. For all at once the fair, which had seemed so lovely and cheerful and happy before, seemed now a frightening, noisy place full of horrid strangers who came and went their own way with no, a, with no glance out of their hard eye for two little girls stranded far from home. The bright young man was no better when they found him again. He stopped his whistling only long enough to say, Nope, no will Vaughn anywhere around these diggings yet. We were going home with the Vaughns, murmured Betsy in a low tone, hoping for some help from him. Looks as though you'd better go home on the cars, advised the young man casually. He smoothed his black hair back, straightened them ever from his forehead, and looked over their heads. "'How much does it cost to go to Hillsboro on the cars?' asked Bessie, with a sinking heart. "'You'll have to ask somebody else about that,' said the young man. "'What I don't know about this rude state, I never was in it before.' He spoke as though he were proud of the fact. Bessie turned and went over to the older man who had told them that the Vaughns had left. Molly trotted her heels, quite comforted now that Betsy was talking so competently to grown-ups. She did not hear what they said, nor try to. Now that Betsy's voice sounded all right, she had no more fears. Betsy would manage somehow. She heard Betsy's voice talking to another man, but she was busy looking at an exhibit of beautiful jelly glasses and paid no attention. Then Betsy led her away again out of the doors where everybody was walking back and forth under the bright September sky, blowing on horns, waving plumes of brilliant tissue paper, tickling each other with peacock feathers, and eating popcorn and candy out of paper bags. That reminded Molly that they had ten cents yet. Oh, Betsy, she proposed, let's take a nickel of our money for some popcorn. She was startled by Betsy's fierce, sudden clutch at their little purse, 
and the quiver in her voice as she answered, No, no, Molly, we've got to save every cent of that. I found out it cost thirty cents for us both to go home to Hillsboro on the train. The last one goes at six o'clock. We haven't got but ten, said Molly. Betsy looked at her silently for a moment and then burst out. I'll earn the rest. I'll earn it somehow. I'll have to. There isn't any other way. All right, said Molly quietly, not seeing anything unusual in that. You can, if you want to. I'll wait for you here. No, you won't, cried Betsy, who had quite enough of trying to meet people in crowds. No, you won't. You just follow me every minute. I don't want you out of my sight. They began to move forward now, Betsy's eyes wildly roving from one place to another. How could a little girl earn money at a country fair? She was horribly afraid to go up and speak to strangers. And yet, how else could she begin? Here, Molly, you wait here, she said. Don't you budge till I come back. But alas, Molly had only a moment to wait that time for the man who was selling lemonade answered Betsy's shy question with a stare and a curt, What could a young one like you do for me? The little girls wandered on. But Betsy, with a dry mouth and gone feeling, they were passing by a big shed-like building now, where a large sign proclaimed that the Woodford Ladies Aid Society would serve a hot chicken dinner for thirty-five cents. Of course, the sign was not accurate, for at half-past three, almost four, the chicken dinner had long gone, and all eaten in the place of the diners was a group of weary women moving lacquidly lacquidly about or standing saggingly by a great table piled with dirty dishes, Betsy paused here, meditating a moment, and went in rapidly so that her courage would not evaporate. The woman with gray hair looked down at her a little impatiently and said, Dinner's all over. I didn't come for dinner, said Betsy, swallowing hard. I came to see if you would hire me to wash your dishes. I'll do them for twenty-five cents. The woman laughed, looked from little Betsy to the great pile of dishes, and said, turning away, Mercy, child, if you wash from now till morning, you couldn't make a hole in what we've got to do. Betsy heard her say to the other women, Some young one wanting more money for the sideshows. Now, now, was the moment to remember what Cousin Anne would have done. She would certainly not have shaken all over with her hurt feelings, nor have allowed the tears to come, stinging her eyes. So Betsy sternly made herself stop doing these things, and Cousin Anne wouldn't have gone way to the dreadful, sinking feeling of discouragement, but would have gone right on to the next place. So although Betsy felt like nothing so much as crooking her elbow over her face and crying at heart as hard as she could cry she stiffened her back took molly's hand again and stepped out heart-stricken within but very steady although rather pale without she and molly walked along in the crowd again molly laughing and pointing out the pranks and antics of the young people who were feeling Livelier than ever at the afternoon wore on, Betsy looked at them grimly with unseeing eyes. It was four o'clock. 
The last train for Hillsboro left in two hours, and she was no nearer having the price of a ticket. She stopped for a moment to get her breath, for although they were walking slowly, she kept feeling breathlessly and choked. It occurred to her that if ever a little girl had had a more terrible birthday, she never heard of one. Oh, I wish I could, Dan, a young voice near her. But honest, Mama'd just eat me up alive if I left the booth for a minute. Betsy turned quickly, a very pretty girl with yellow hair and blue eyes. She looked at Molly. She looked as Molly might when she grew up. She was leaning over the edge of a little canvas-covered booth, the sign of which announced that the homemade doughnuts and soft drinks were for sale there. A young man, very flushed and happy, was pulling at the girl's blue gingham sleeve. Oh, come on, Annie, just one turn. The floor's just right. You can keep an eye on the booth from the hall. Nobody's going to run away with the old thing anyhow. Honest, I'd love to, but I got a great lot of dishes to wash, too, and you know Mama. She looked longingly towards the open-air dance floor, out from which just then floated a burst of brassy music. Oh, please, said a small voice. I'll do it for twenty cents. Betsy stood by the girl's elbow, quivering earnestness. Do what, Kitty? asked the girl in good-natured surprise. Everything, said Betsy, competently. Everything. Wash the dishes and tend the booth. You can go dance. I'll do it for twenty cents. The eyes of the girl and the man met. My, aren't we up and coming, said the man. You're most as big as a pint cup, aren't you? He said to Betsy. The little girl flushed. She detested being laughed at, but she looked straight into the laughing eyes. I'm ten years old today, she said, and I can wash dis dishes as well as anybody. She spoke with dignity. The young man burst out with a great laugh. Great kid, what? He said to the girl, and then, Say, Annie, why not? Your mother won't be here for an hour. The kid can keep folks from walking off with the stuff, and... I'll do the dishes, too, repeated Betsy, trying hard not to mind being laughed at and keeping her eye fixed steadily on the tickets to Hillsboro. Well, my gosh, said the young man, laughing. Here's our chance, Annie, for the fair. Come along. The girl laughed, too, of high spirits. Wouldn't Mama be crazy, she said hilariously, but she'll never know. Here, you cute kid, here's an apron. She took off her long apron and tied it around Betsy's neck. Here's the soap. There's the table. Stack the dishes up on the counter. She was out of the little gate in the counter in a twinkling, just as Molly, in answer to a beckoning gesture from Betsy, came in. Hello, there's another one, said the happy young man. Hello, Button. What you going to do? I suppose when they try to crack the safe, you'll run at them and bark and drive them away. Molly opened her sweet blue eyes wide, not understanding a single word. The girl laughed, swooped back, gave Molly a kiss, and disappeared running side by side with the young man towards the dance hall. Betsy's mounted on a soapbox and began joyfully to wash the dishes. She had never thought that ever in her life would she simply love to wash dishes beyond anything else, but it was so.
Her relief was so great that she could have kissed the coarse, thick plate in the glasses as she washed them. It's all right, Molly, it's all right, she quavered exultantly to Molly over her shoulder. But as Molly had not, from that moment, Betsy took command, suspected that it was all not all right, she only nodded and asked if she might sit up on a barrel where she could watch the crowd go by. I guess you could. I don't know why not, said Betsy doubtfully. She lifted her up and went back to her dishes. Never were dishes washed better. Two donuts, please, said a man's voice behind her. Oh, mercy, there was somebody come to buy. Whatever should she do? She came forward intending to say that the owner of the booth was away, and she didn't know anything about, but the man laid down a nickel, took two doughnuts, and turned away. Betsy gasped and looked at the homemade sign stuck in the big pan of doughnuts. Sure enough, it read two for five. She put the nickel up on a shelf and went back to her dishwashing. Selling things wasn't so hard, she reflected. Now that she saw a way out, she began to find some fun being behind a counter instead of in front. When a woman with two little boys approached, she came forward to wait on her, feeling important. Two for five, she said in a businesslike tone. The woman put down a dime took up four doughnuts and divided them between her sons and departed. My, said Molly, looking admiringly at Betsy's coolness. Betsy went back to her dishes, stepping high. Oh, Betsy, see the pig, the big ox, cried Molly, now looking from her vantage down the wide grass-grown lane between the booths. Betsy craned her head around over her shoulder continuing conscientiously to wash and wipe the dishes. The prize stock was being paraded round the fair, the huge prize ox, his shining horns tipped with blue rosettes, the prize cows with wreaths round their necks, and the prize horses, four or five of them, as glossy as satin, curving their bright, strong necks and stepping as through eggs, their manes and tails braided with bright ribbons, and then, oh, Betsy, look at the pig, screamed Molly again, the small animal, the sheep, the calves, the colts, the pigs, which waddled along with portly dignity. Betsy looked as well as she could over her shoulder, and in years to come, she could shut her eyes and see again the every detail of that procession under the golden September light. But she looked anxiously at the clock, it was nearly five. Oh, suppose the girl forgot and danced too long. Two bottles of ginger ale, half a dozen doughnuts, said a man, with a woman and three children. Betsy looked feverishly among the bottles ranged on the counter, selected two marked ginger ale, and glared at their corrugated tin stoppers. Here's your opener, said the man, if that's what you're looking for. You get the glasses and I'll open the bottles. We're in kind of a hurry. Got to catch a train. Well, they were not the only people who had to catch a train, Betsy thought sadly. They drank in gulps and departed, cramming doughnuts into their mouths. Betsy wished that the girl would come back. She was now almost sure that she had forgotten and would dance till nightfall. But there, there she came, running along, as light-footed after an hour's dance as when she had left the booth. Here you are, kids. 
said the young man, and he produced a quarter. We've had the time of our young lives, thanks to you. Betsy gave them back one of the nickels that remained to her, but he refused it. No, keep the change, he said royally. It was worth it. Then I'll buy two doughnuts with my extra nickel, said Betsy. No, you won't, said the girl. You'll take all you want for nothing. Mama'll never miss em. What you sell here has got to be fresh every day anyhow. Here, hold out your hands, both of you. Some people came and bought things, said Betsy, happening to remember as she and Molly turned away. The money is on the shelf. Well now, said the girl, if she didn't take hold and sell things, say. She ran after Betsy and gave her a hug. You smart young one. I wish I had a little sister just like you. Molly and Betsy hurried along out of the gate into the main street and the town and down to the station. Molly was eating doughnuts as she went. They were both quite hungry by this time, but Betsy could not think of eating till she had those tickets in her hand. She pushed her quarter and a nickel into the ticket seller's window and said, Hillsborough, in a confident tone as she could. But when the precise but when the precious bits of paper were pushed out at her and she actually held them, her knees shook under her, and she had to go and sit down on the bench. My, aren't these doughnuts good? said Molly. I never in my life had enough doughnuts before. Betsy drew a long breath and began rather languidly to eat one herself. She felt all of a sudden very, very tired. She was tireder still when they got out of the train at Hillsborough Station and started wearily up the road towards Putney Farm. Two miles lay before them, two miles which they had often walked before, but never after such a day as now lay back of them. Molly dragged her feet as she walked and hung heavily on Betsy's hand. Betsy plodded along, her head hanging, her eyes gritty in sleepiness. A light a lighted buggy spun round the turn of the road behind them. The single horse trotted fast as the driver were in a hurry, the wheels rattling smartly on the hard road. The little girls drew out to one side and stood waiting till the road should be free again. When he saw them, the driver pulled the horse back so quickly it stood almost straight up. He peered at them through the twilight and then, with a loud shout, sprang over the side of the buggy. It was Uncle Henry. Oh, goody, it was Uncle Henry came to meet them. They wouldn't have to walk any further. But what was the matter with Uncle Henry? He ran up to them, exclaiming, Are you all right? Are you all right? He stooped over and felt them desperately, as though he expected them to be broken somewhere, and Betsy could feel that his old hands were shaking, that he was trembling all over, when he said, Why, yes, Uncle Henry, we're all right. We came here on the cars. Uncle Henry leaned up against the fence as though he couldn't stand up. He took off his hat and wiped his forehead, and he said, It didn't seem as though it could be Uncle Henry talking. He sounded so excited. Well, 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 my gosh, my, well, by thunder now. 
And so here you are, and you're all right, well. He couldn't seem to stop, stop exclaiming, and you couldn't imagine anything stranger than Uncle Henry, who couldn't stop exclaiming. After they all got into the buggy, he quieted down a little and said, Thunderation! But we've had a scare. When the Weldons came back with their cousins early this afternoon, they said, You were coming with the Vons. And then, when you didn't come and didn't come, we telephoned to the Vons, and they said they hadn't seen hide nor hair ye, and didn't even know you were at the fair at all. I tell you, your Aunt Abigail and I had an awful turn. Anne and I hitched up quicker and scat, and she put right out with Prince up towards Woodford, and I took Jessie down this way. Thought maybe I'd get trace of ye somewhere here. Well, land, he wiped his forehead again. Weren't I glad to see you standin' there? Get along, Jess, and I want to get the news to Abigail soon as I can. Now I tell what in thunder did happen to you. Betsy began at the beginning and told straight through, interrupted at first by indign indignant comments by Uncle Henry, who was outraged by the Wendell's loose wearing of their responsibility for the children. But she went on, he quieted down to a closely attentive silence, interrupted only to keep Jess at her top speed. Now that it was all safely over, Betsy thought her story quite an interesting one, and she omitted no detail, although she wondered once or twice if perhaps Uncle Henry were listening to her at all. He kept still. And so I bought the tickets and we got home, she ended, adding, Oh, Uncle Henry, you ought to have seen the prize pig. He was so funny. They turned into the Putney yard now and saw Aunt Abigail's bulky form on the porch. Got him, Abby, all right, no harm done, shouted Uncle Henry. Aunt Abigail turned without a word and went back into the house. When the little girls dragged their weary legs in, they found her quietly sitting, out setting out some supper for them on the table, but she was wiping away with her apron the joyful tears which ran down her cheeks. Such pale cheeks! It seemed so strange to see rosy Aunt Abigail with a face as white as paper. Well, I'm glad to see you, she told them soberly. Sit right down and have some hot milk. I had some already. The telephone rang. She went into the next room, and they heard her saying in an unsteady voice, All right, Anne, they're here. Your father just brought them in. I haven't had time to hear about what happened yet. But you're all but they're all right. You'd better come home. That's your cousin Anne telephoning from the Marshalls. She herself went and sat down heavily, and when Uncle Henry came in a few minutes later she asked him a rather weak voice for the ammonia bottle. He rushed for it, got her a fan and drank of cold water, and hung over her anxiously till the color began to come back into her pale face. I know just how you feel, mother, he said sympathetically. When I saw him standing there by the roadside, I felt as though somebody had hit me a clip right in the pit of my stomach. The little girls ate their supper in a tired daze, not paying any attention to what the grown-ups were saying. Until rapid hooves clicked on the stone outside and Cousin Anne came in quickly, her black eyes snapping. 
Now, for mercy's sake, tell me what happened, she said, adding hotly, and if I don't give that Maria Wendell a piece of my mind, Uncle Henry broke in, I'm going to tell what happened. I want to do it. You and Mother just listen. Just sit right down and listen. His voice was shaking with feeling, and as he went on and told of Betsy's afternoon, her fright, her confusion, her forming the plan of coming home on the train and of earning the money for the tickets, he made for once no Putney pretense of casual coolness. His old eyes flashed fire as he talked. Betsy, watching him, felt her heart swell and beat fast in incredulous joy Why he was proud of her. She had done something to make the Putney cousins proud of her. When Uncle Henry came to the part where she went on asking for employment after one and the other refusal, Cousin Anne reached out her long arm and quickly, roughly, gathered Betsy up in her lap, holding her close as she listened. Betsy had never before sat on Cousin Anne's lap. And when Uncle Henry finished, he had not forgotten a single thing Betsy had told him, and asked, What do you think of that for a girl ten years old today? Cousin Anne opened the floodgates, wide burst out. I think I never heard of a child doing a smarter, grittier thing, and I don't care if she does hear me say so. It was a great and momentous and historic moment. Betsy, enthroned on those strong knees, wondered if any little girl ever had had such a beautiful birthday.